Sunday in 2000. And so she'll be turning 19 next week. And she was, she's not, was not going to spend Easter with us for good reasons. She was going to uh, go with her school down to Florida and she was going to do ministry in Florida. But praise God, the trip got canceled. <laughs> so she's going to be uh, coming home this week, and I'm real happy about that. So uh, we're the family you don't want to invite to Easter lunch. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, nobody invite us to Easter lunch. Please don't, because it's complicated having us over. Some years my sister plans something and we go to her place. Some years my mom plans something. Some years we just kind of, we're on our own because they're doing things with their families. A lot of times we go across the street to one of these uh, sports bars because they're empty on Easter. Just in case you're wondering, no one's there. Everybody is either at grandma's or they want the home cooked meals. So lunch is complicated because it takes us a long time to get out of here. And so, I don't know exactly what's going to happen next week. We're still talking. I was texting with my sister. We're trying to figure out what time can y'all be here. And I told her, if we come, we bring the stuff you buy at the store, right? That's what we do. So, anything you need in a package, we can be responsible for. But anything that's fresh and home-cooked, that's not us. Because my wife, uh, she works here at the church, too. So, we work holidays. That's what we do. Um, So, we're planning all of that for uh, next Sunday. That reminded me of a story that I wasn't going to tell you, but I'll go ahead and tell you in the 9 a.m. service. uh, When I I, um, first started ministry, I was like 19, 20 years old, and his family did invite us, invite me. I was single. There was no Beth. I was single, and I was out of state, and I got an invitation to go to someone's house for Easter Sunday lunch, and I didn't know to say no right away. I said yes automatically. I barely knew these people. And I went over and we had a lovely lunch with them. Or I say we, it's just me, just me. Just, just little old Aaron, just I'm at these people's house and um, I'm having Easter lunch with them. And after dessert's over, I think I'm ready to go and catch up with my buddies. They invite me to the basement. Okay. What's going to happen in the basement? I kid you not. They required me to watch Gaither homecoming videos for an hour. They're like, have you ever seen these before? No, I have. Let me play the VCR. So, yeah, I learned some lessons back then. So, Easter lunch, you have to plan stuff, right? You have to plan stuff. And why do you do that? Because meals are important. Why do we plan 10, 12 days out? Where are we going to meet? Where are we going to eat? Who's bringing what? Who has the Gaither videos? We make these plans for a reason. Hey, don't laugh at the Gaithers. They're richer than anybody in this room because of those videos. They've got the last laugh. We make all of these plans because we want to be together, right? We, 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 it's not really about the food. It's about being together. I love the scripture we've read today and that we're emphasizing this part of of Holy Week, the, the Last Supper, the last time Jesus is getting ready uh, to, to give his life for us and to be resurrected, and he invited his closest friends together for this meal, and he wanted to be with them. And here's, here's what I want you to, to know. God wants to be with us. That's why throughout Scripture, he's worked through meals from the Passover meal to 
the Eucharist that we celebrate every week to the culmination of history at the wedding supper of the Lamb of God. Jesus wants to be with you. And he prepares this meal and he keeps inviting us over and over and over again. The meal we read about this morning was prophetic. Jesus was saying something, not just about the present, even though certainly there was application for the present. Jesus was declaring something about the future. And he was speaking into existence what we're doing today. And he, he was creating something for you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Here's the first thing that happened at this meal that changed everything, or the first thing I want to talk about. The announcing of the kingdom of God. Jesus announced the kingdom of God. When the hour came, this is starting in verse 14, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him in verse 15. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat the Passover with you. Now, I want you to think about that. This goes back to what I discussed at the beginning of this message, this effort this desire to sit down and to share a meal, this, you know, not just to feed us, because, feed ourselves out of a biological need or because we need fuel to go about as robots. No, no, to share this experience together. And Jesus said to his followers, and he's saying to you to, right now, he's saying, I fervently, I desire to eat with you. I desire to be with you. I, I want to connect to you. And so, Going on, he says, eat this Passover with you before I suffer. <clears throat> For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And this is a phrase, the kingdom of God, that's talked about a lot, and we won't try to improve on it. But you, you need to remember that the people who heard this only knew about um, a monarchy, the idea of Caesar or even in the Jewish people in their history, the idea of a king. And so they're saying, here, here Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God, a different system. I, I, I often have called this, now we, we worship culture, and that's real important. It's cool. So now a, a good synonym, I think, is a, the culture of God. You know, we, we won't replace the actual scriptural text here, but that helps me. I'm bringing in the kingdom of God, Jesus said. I'm bringing in the culture of God, something that's not of this world. It's not of the world system. It's not the way things happen that we're accustomed to. It's, it's a transformation. It's something different. And so as he declares the kingdom of God, he does something interesting. He took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This was a point of transition. This is why it was a meal that changed everything. Transition was occurring. The way things had always been were changing right now. He was saying, I'm gonna take this Passover meal and this bread and cup that wasn't just used for the Passover. It was used all the time. I'm gonna take something that you do every day that's part of your life that you can't avoid. And I'm saying now, I am calling this special. I'm calling this as a point of declaration. I'm calling this as a point of transition. The kingdom of God is here. Now, what is the kingdom of God? You can write this down if you're taking notes. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. 
And, and that's who we are as people. We are people of the kingdom. The culture of God is the reign of God. We're into God's kingdom, God's culture. We, we are invited into this kingdom that causes us to think differently and act differently and love differently and respond differently and orientate our lives uniquely, not because of our choice, but because of his choice. Because he's our king, he's our president, he's our general, he's our boss, he's the CEO, he's the ruler, and he's the one that determines the culture and the kingdom and, and the nation that we're in. And, and even though we're part of culture and we're part of this nation and we're part of different environments, we're part of companies, we're even part of groups of churches, we are always part of the kingdom. Now, I don't want you to ever leave this church. It's not the will of God, according to me. But I'm going to tell you that, that people who leave this church are not excommunicated. They're not, we don't say they're no longer Christians. They're still in the kingdom. The dozens of churches that are meeting in the city right now represent the kingdom. The kingdom of God, the culture of God. And this is what Jesus announced. So let's quickly, I want you to see this theme um, Going through the book of going through the New Testament, Romans chapter fourteen verse seventeen says, "For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking." He was he was responding to rules about eating and drinking, but he says, "This is what the kingdom of God is: righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit." How many want more of the kingdom of God in your life? The culture of God: righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You don't have to pay for peace. You don't have to pay for joy. It's not entertainment. It's not a quick fix. It's not something you medicate. It's not a drug. It's not a, an experience. It is a presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit that brings righteousness, peace, and joy. And this is what God's believers proclaim. And as they were proclaiming the, the ramifications of Jesus and what he did on the cross and by the resurrection, Acts 8, 12. But when they believed Philip, Philip, he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. Both men and women were baptized. Listen, every Christian, you, you don't have to be baptized to be saved, but every Christian in the Bible has been baptized. Well, except the thief on the cross, but he, 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 he helps us out to let us know it's not a work for salvation. May 5th, if you haven't been baptized in water, please consider that. Please consider that. It's such a doorway to blessing in your life. Acts 19.8. When he entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly over a period of three months, engaging in discussion and trying to persuade them about the things of the kingdom of God. Acts 28.23. After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. This is talking about Paul, both scriptures. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God and he tried to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. This kingdom started at this last, this kingdom was at least declared. It had already begun, but it was identified at this last supper and we are in the kingdom now. And the culmination of the kingdom is when Christ returned and we'll be with him forever and ever. And so, you know, the enemy wants you to forget about the kingdom Belittle the kingdom, mock the kingdom, criticize the kingdom. Don't give the kingdom space in your life just to become in love with this culture and this way of thinking and this way of living. And, and these scriptures, I hope that we go back into this Holy Week. Jesus says, like, things have changed right now. Right now, things are different. 
Things are different because I am announcing the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to ask you a question here as we transition now. Um, a question that's kind of an old school question, but stick with me because there's a reason for it, okay? Now, there is no shame when I ask this question. I want you to be bold. I want you to be honest. I want you to not be ashamed. I'm going to ask you whether you're a Mac or Windows person. All right. No, no shame. No shame in this. All right, let me see. If you're a Mac person, raise your hand. Okay, cool. Cool. Windows people, raise your hand. All right. Whoa, hey, how about that? Okay. Now, one of, the, one of the really silly things about the aughts, the 2000s, we don't know what we're going to call that, but let's go with the aughts, is that somewhere in about 04, I'm going to say, Apple became the cool company. And if you had an Apple, you just were, I don't know, just a little more elitist. You felt like you had a cultural edge. You felt like you had a secret no one else had. Um, Alan, Alan Wolk in Forbes magazine, he, he, he talks about this. He said, Apple spent much of the 2000s riding high on a wave of cool. Whether it was MP3 players, smartphones, tablets, or laptops, Apple was the brand that everyone wanted, and anything else seemed like the sensible pair of sneakers your parents forced you to wear in sixth grade. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, I felt a little bit of that angst, too. I felt like this cultural pressure, like, man, I'm, I'm in my 30s now, and I don't have an apple. I'm missing out. This is where I tipped over. It was about 2010, and I, I'm still an Apple guy, just for self-disclosure here. About 2010, and, and one of my Facebook friends posted with excitement, I purchased an Apple today. And so everyone started commenting, well, that's great. I love my Apple. I love it too. Max rule and all this. Another Facebook friend posted something out of sarcasm, but it was silly. He said, welcome to the family. And right then and there, I decided this has gotten out of hand. You're paying an extra $700 to be part of a family. And you get an Apple sticker. Remember that? These things like, I'm part of the family. Now I cannot buy integrated software. I have to buy all my software from one company. So now, cultural, cultural um, those who, who look at cultural trends say, Apple's not cool anymore, in case you didn't know. If you're late on that train, stay with Windows. Because it's come back around to you. So um, th there shouldn't be anything that's cool or not. Now, why is it that we went through that time period where many of us just wanted to be associated with that symbol? Why is that? Um, symbols are important to us. Uh, human beings, we are drawn to identity with symbols. We, we need something physical, um, something that helps us physically with our senses to connect with something that, that we cannot describe or understand otherwise. And I believe that God created us this way because that's how people have worshiped. And so we worship our technology. We worship Apple. We worship our sports team. We worship our cultural artists. You guys, we, we, are, we, we have to watch it. We got to watch it. We worship stuff other than God. It's just really sophisticated and 
and, and it's, it's not easy to identify sometimes. So I talk about that a lot. You can think about that on your own. God created us to, to desire symbols, to awaken our senses, to give us truth in tangible, physical, and memorable ways. That's why idol worship draws us in. Well, in our faith, according to Jesus at the Last Supper, and you can write this down, he established symbolic presence. Symbolic presence. Now, I, I, I thought about this term for a while because in the history of, of Christianity, there's been a great debate that, that still occurs. Is the, the Eucharist, the elements, are they only symbolic or are they actually the, the actual physical presence of the Lord or the, phys, the, the physical embodiment of the Lord? And so that's not necessarily the case. So where is this? What is the bread? What is the cup? And it is, it is a symbol. But it's a symbol with power. It's a symbol with presence. We don't just do this bread and cup only for its symbolic value. The presence of the Lord is in the bread. The presence of the Lord is with the will of the Lord. We, that's, why he, that's why the Lord has prepared the table for us. That's why the meal that changed everything was so important that it had been in the making for thousands of years through, through the way the Jewish people connected with the Lord. And now Jesus came and announced that with the essence of who he was. Verse 19, and he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So there's that symbolic part. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. His presence was there and the symbols were there. So it is today. We have symbolic presence. We have the bread represents him. The cup represents him. And we have an encounter with his presence when we take it in faith and with reverence and with um, an honest heart before the Lord, not a perfect heart. I've never taken communion in perfection. So that, that's a fallacy. No one, no one is worthy to take communion. No one's good enough to take communion. But Jesus invites us to the table anyway. And so we come with a, a heart of reverence and a heart of anticipation and faith. Faith to believe that his presence is with us. Now, Paul didn't meet Jesus personally. Uh, as far as during the time of Jesus's ministry before his ascension, he, he met him in another way on the road to the Damascus. But the Lord's Supper was such a part of who the believers were. Paul, when he was writing this church that was in error, the, the, the Corinthian church, the church at Corinth, he, he wrote this in, in 1 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 23. Here's a portion. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took the bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he's quoting the scripture we've, we're already working through. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Can I tell you that our world needs to know about the cross. Our world needs to know about the resurrection. And as people who participate in, in the ordinance of communion, we're declaring the cross. We're declaring the cross. We're declaring the resurrection. You know, and so much of our, of our modern-day religious expression is personality-driven. So I'm so excited. I, thank you, by the way. I, haven't, I meant to talk about this earlier. Thank you for letting me take this sabbatical that I'm going to start after Mother's Day. Um, I, I was so blessed by your generosity last week and by allowing us to do that. I, I put something about that on Facebook Monday morning, and all throughout the week, people have been telling me around town, how are you enjoying your sabbatical? <laughs> they didn't read on down to see where it started. So uh, it doesn't start for five or six more weeks. But, but thank you for, for allowing me to do that. One of the things that, one of the reasons I think it's going to be really good for our church is I want you to come to church regardless of who's speaking. That's a good spiritual discipline. Now we may throw some graphics out there and say, oh, David Huff's speaking this week and Dan Scott's speaking this week and Pastor Josh is speaking this week. Just, just because information is important. But I want you to come no matter who speaks. Because even if the sermon bombs, which it will not with any of those individuals, my sermons bomb. We go to the table of the Lord at the, as the sermon leads us there. And we're centered on Jesus again. You guys are not here to support me and you're not here just to support someone who's speaking. You're here for Jesus Christ. And communion takes us back to that place. And so, you know, this is not a new 21st century problem. Paul asked, you know, Paul corrected this. Some wanted, said, I want to be baptized by Apollos, some by Paul. He said, hey, it doesn't really matter. The important thing is, is you're baptized. And, and this, is, this is how it is with the ministry of the word. So, this, this meal was an invitation, not just to remember, but an invitation to presence. Bread that you can feel with your hands when you hold it in your hands. Wine you can taste. Or in our case, it is grape juice, but that is wine. Presence that is embodied. This, this, is, this is the reminder to you that Christ is real and he'll be real again. You know, it's often at family meals that big news is announced. It may be something like this. Mom has a new job. We are expecting like a new baby. Um, we're getting a dog. Can I give you a word of wisdom today? Because I love you and to pastor your soul. Please think before you get another dog, or a dog in general. <laughs> they will cost you more money than you can possibly imagine. Now, I love dogs. I love dogs. I don't want any, I don't want you to think I don't have, I've had dogs all my life. But 13 years ago, I did not have a dog. And I decided to surprise my daughter, Abby, who I already mentioned, on her sixth birthday with a dog. So I went to get a free dog, and I came home with two free dogs. 
Now, there's been 13 years of ownership of these dogs. One of them has gone and he's, she is with the Lord now. So there's one left, over 13 years old. He's still sleeping. <laughs> and I want you to know this. I believe animals are going to be in heaven. So I look forward to seeing all my dogs in heaven. And if you don't believe that, you need to like go do a prayer walk. through the zoo and soften your heart. I mean, think about how everyone loves animals. And if that doesn't work, if you know someone who doesn't believe animals are in heaven, buy them some stuffed animals and just put them in, in uh, of dogs and cats and just put them in their bed with them. It's like a modern day prayer cloth, right? You know, pray over, pray over those animals. Um, 13 years of dog food, Flea and tick medication, vaccinations, well pet visits, sick pet visits, baths, because I don't like to put animals in my bathtub. <laughs> because we travel a lot, we've boarded dogs, not one, two. Now just think, think about this. If I had invested that money in dog chow stock instead of actually dog chow food, I'd be a lot better financially right now. So as a word of wisdom, just don't get another dog, okay? You, you can, you can, you can uh, watch them when others go on vacation. So we love our dogs. So at big meals, we announce things like that. We're getting a dog, we're getting a new job, or whatever the case is. At this last uh, supper, Jesus announced big news, and here it is. He I've already told you some, but proclaiming a new covenant, Proclaiming a new covenant. You can write that down if you're taking notes. Verse 20, in the same way he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant, my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, I know this to our modern senses. What I'm going to tell you just sounds disturbing, and it is disturbing, actually, that a, a ratification of a covenant was associated with the shedding of blood. So when blood was shed, it meant this is transformational, this is permanent, this is binding. Blood had to be involved. Now that is, is disturbing as it should be. But before you get too pious, those of you who are Gen Xers, do you remember the movie in 1986, Stand By Me? Okay, I see a few of you nodding your heads. Don't tell my mom that I watched that movie in 86. All right, she'll be, at, she'll be in the second service. I'll have to do a workaround at that time. So Edward and Mickey decided to be blood brothers, in case you don't remember. So they nicked their fingers with a knife and they put their, their fingers together. This idea that this, this, is, this has to really mean something. And so Jesus was the last sacrifice. No more violence, no more abusive animals, no more repeating gruesome acts, hoping to appease this wrathful God. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all once and for all. There never needs to be another animal sacrifice. There, there never has to be a wondering if God has been appeased. Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself himself. 
it, it's, it's an incredible thought that, that I hope you think about these next several days. A new covenant. This is the power of the Holy Week. As we journey with Jesus and we go into our, our services Monday, Thursday, and we reflect on Friday, and then we celebrate over Easter weekend. This idea of a new covenant centered on forgiveness. Centered on not what we do to earn God's favor, but what God has done to favor us. It's not about us going to God. It's about God coming to us, anticipating his return and believing that his promises will come true.